and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. We're in our brand new space. It's wild. It's extra exciting to be here. It is. It really is. (laughs) So yeah, if you've heard our sort of story about this, we were in what we always knew would be our temporary home. We're now in our sort of permanent home with a somewhat temporary setup, but we're working on it kind of exciting. Oh, it's super exciting. Also, our building noise schedule has changed because we're on a different floor and in an opposite end of the building. So we are recording this late at night, (laughs) not early in the morning. It may be a whole different feel. Let's go for a ride. (laughs) We have some housekeeping stuff. Mm -hmm. Before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, do you want to talk about the Indie Untangled sponsorship stuff? I do. So If you've been listening to recent episodes, you know that Make Good and Scratch Supply Co. are sponsoring this year's Indian Tangled, and we have two kind of exciting things to tell you about. The first one is the Indian Tangled Scholarship. We started sponsoring this in 2020, and we are committed to special events within the fiber industry being more accessible to people. So we decided a scholarship seemed like a good way to do that. And what that looks like this year for Indian Tangled is that there are two scholarships available. They are inclusive of both the in-person event in Socrates, New York, and the virtual version. So if you aren't traveling to New York, but you're participating or you would like to participate in virtual Indian Tangled, the scholarship applies to both of those scenarios. Two people will be selected. They will receive a ticket to the version of the event of their choice and $200 to spend as they will. You could spend it with vendors on yarn and accessories and all sorts of fun things, or you are also welcome to put that money toward your travel and accommodations if you're heading to New York for the in-person event. Applications are available on the Indian Tangled website, and they will be taking them until September 20th. You can nominate yourself. You can nominate someone else. And people will be notified on September 30th directly. They will not be publicly announced. You will be contacted by Indian Tangled directly to be told that you have won the scholarships. And we're excited. Yeah, I'm really glad we have a chance to do this. Yeah, I think it's nice. The other thing is the handmade swap. That's right. We talked about this a little bit in the episode last week. So at the actual in-person Indian Tangled event, there is an outdoor picnic area that we are between the store and the podcast we are sponsoring. In the picnic area, we're going to be setting up a place for people to sit and relax. That's kind of the whole idea of the picnic area. and A lounge. A lounge. And as part of that, we are going to do a handmade swap. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but the short version is, it's like a little free library for the things that you've been making. If it needs to find a new home or if you want to rehome somebody else's handmade thing, take a sweater, leave a sweater just take a sweater, just leave a sweater. Anything that doesn't find a home or all of the hats and scarves that come to the swap are going to go to benefit homeless service providers in our area. So you can get more details in a fun blog post that Karen wrote about it, and that will be linked in our show notes. Yes. Let's talk about the birthday. It's our birthday this week. Yay! Happy birthday to us. The store is five years old. Mm-hmm. That feels extremely fake. It's super fake. We've been doing this for at least like 30 years, right? 
Probably, yeah. That feels more correct to me. In my bones. <laughs> I've been doing this forever. But also, it's like fresh and new every day and exciting. <laughs> Yay, Fiber World. If you've never had a chance to come to the store in person, we don't throw ourselves like an anniversary party. We throw ourselves a birthday party. It feels more fun. We try to do something fun and exciting every year. So this year we're bringing in a brand new to us line of yarn, which will be a surprise. We're super excited about it. And we do swag bags. Swag bags are back. So those are for people who are in person or ordering online. Only as long as they last, though. So starting, I think, midnight EST or something on Friday. And lasting until they're gone. We ran out of them last year and we got more this year. So I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. But if you want a swag bag, probably order Friday or Saturday, just to be sure. Yeah. Oh, and don't forget, if you saw on the Scratch Instagram, somebody is going to be winning our cool crocheted octopus. Oh, that's right. It's going out into the world. There's no question to answer or secret entry or anything like, boop, we're just throwing it in someone's bag. <laughs> and you're going to have a surprise octopus. So that could be you. I think we're going to have to find a way to make her stealthy within the bag so that we... It's impossible. She's huge. <laughs> She's really amazing. If you haven't seen her in person, she's like heavy. She's really satisfying. I really like this octopus. Bye, legs. <laughs> You're going to find a new home. <laughs> I have a surprise for Jessica this week. What's that, Karen? It's a lot of talking about the history of knitting. What? <laughs> Seriously, I'm talking like almost none this week because <laughs> I have no idea what Karen's going to be talking about. So I was given a book called The History of Knitting. There is a surprising lack of books on the history of knitting. It's not really something that there's a ton of literature out there. This particular book, it's out of print. It was published in the 70s by a man named Richard Rutt, my new buddy Richard. He was a bishop in Leicester, England, uh -huh. and was largely really focused on like the English tradition of knitting. We'll talk about that. You'll talk about that. That's right. Because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So if you've been listening for a while, I have talked about this before. My background is in Latin and Greek. And one of the things that, you know, as we're starting off talking about the early history of knitting, there is no word for knitting in Latin or Greek. There is a lot of spinning. There's a lot of weaving. There is no knitting. So at some point, I feel like I joke about this all the time. Somebody looked at the string and looked at the sticks and said, I have an idea. We're trying to figure out who that person was and where they were, and we're never really going to have an answer to that because fabric decomposes. Mm -hmm. It's just like an archaeological fact. Organic matter. That's right. Right? It's kind of nice that it's biodegradable, unless you're hoping that you might find the first ever hand knit sock, in which case, whoops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so my buddy Richard makes a claim that knitting originated somewhere between 500 and 1200 CE, which, A, is a really big range, and in Egypt, which is not impossible. Although if you are trying to approach this from an archaeological perspective, it's also very likely that fabric would survive in Egypt in a way it wouldn't in other areas just because of the climate. But the fragments of fabric that he thought were knitting were actually knitting imposter fabric. Huh. <laughs> what does that even mean? So that fabric was made with a technique called nail bending. Uh-huh. I'm just going to call it nail binding. Sure. I blame autocorrect for this. I think every time you see it talked about online or in modern literature, it's just called nail binding. It's a technique where you take the yarn and you wrap it around your thumb. It's attached to a single big needle. 
and you sort of use the needle to make a ton of little knots in it. It takes forever. Not that knitting is fast, but it takes forever. (laughs) (laughs) He was particularly offended by how often you have to splice the yarn when you do that. Because, like with embroidery, where if your floss is too long, it just like tangles up on itself. You have to tear, not cut, because it makes it easier to splice if you tear it, your yarn every like couple of yards or whatever. And then splice it if you're going to make something. Uh Uh-huh. Richard didn't like that. No, big side eye at that. Me too, Richard. (laughs) If you're looking at a piece of fabric that is created with this technique, it does look a lot like knitting. Mm -hmm. Especially if you don't know that nail binding exists like as a technique. And he did, but it's an easy mistake to make. It's a very understandable mistake. The earliest evidence of nail binding is actually from like 6,000 BCE in Egypt. That technique has been around forever, and we've found evidence for all over the world. One of the things that survives are these really awful, uncomfortable-looking sandal socks. Have you seen pictures of these? I have, and I frankly thought that those were the first knit artifacts. So that was thought for a really long time. I'm just out of date, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, well, you and Richard are on the same page here. Yeah, Richard's my friend, Karen. (laughs) If you've never seen these, I will link a picture in the show notes. They are socks. They're like mitten socks. They're socks where the big toe is separate. And it's so that the thong of sandals can go where your flip-flop thong would go. I do that with my regular ready-to-wear socks and my flip-flops when I go outside to take care of the chickens. That's because we live in New Hampshire and it's fashion. Uh, Yes. Correct. Romans did this. Roman soldiers did this. And recently, somebody found a bronze foot, like a statue, not like somebody's foot that was dipped in bronze. Right. I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) And by recently, I mean in the last 10 years, where the foot was wearing a sock under its sandal. And there were a bunch of articles that were published about the Romans' crimes against fashion, which I thought was pretty funny from the BBC in 2013 or whatever. Sure. (laughs) History, humor. Right. Right. So we know that these were really common because there are the near and dear to my heart. They're called the Vindolando tablets, which are these little like postcard size tablets. They were found all in a big trash heap up by Hadrian's wall. Uh-huh. And it's just a bunch of letters being written back and forth. And like some of them are... Very slowly. Right. Well, I, so <laughs> here's my question about this. And somebody knows this. Like somebody's going to send us an email and be like, Karen, you're being a dummy. Were they not sent from Hadrian's Wall? Did they make it home if they were found in the trash where they started? Like, it's not like they found them in the trash in Rome. It was Roman soldiers sending them. Hmm. I'm a little worried this guy never got his socks. Because. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) there's a bunch of different things, you know, but one of them, and it's poorly spelled, and there's all kinds of, like, punctuation mistakes. So this is just some guy. And he's sending this home to his family, asking them to please send him two more pairs of underwear and two more pairs of socks, which is very sweet. Thank you. And I'm a little concerned he didn't get them. (laughs) He maybe needed them. Oh, he definitely needed them. Oh, guy. A little aside about my buddy Richard. Uh Uh-huh. He claims that there's no Roman word for glove. So therefore, the Romans must not have had gloves. Interesting. False. There's like six. And some in Greek and some in probably every other contemporary language that I don't speak. Like, I just find it very baffling to think that they would have thought of horrible sandal socks, but wouldn't have thought of fingers. That's, this is very much a Richard <laughs> problem. It's because Richard didn't know what the words were. Right. Not that they didn't exist. Right. In fairness to him, 
we have the internet. We can type in search words. In 1974, you had to flip to the right page in the book, right? Or or ask a colleague. <laughs> right. I feel like, no, in fairness to Richard, like, <laughs> do your homework, dude. Just because you can't imagine this, you should probably check a little bit before you authoritatively say, this language had no word for this because I don't know that word. <laughs> right. So knitters have solved an archaeological mystery. Well, knitters have possibly solved an archaeological mystery related to Roman gloves. Tell me more. So there are these objects. They've been found kind of all over the northern part of where Romans went, like France, Italy, Germany, those areas. Sure. Not like southern Italy, though, like where it would get cold. And they are called Roman dodecahedra. And they look like, you know, like the 12-sided die that you would... For playing little D&D. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. Except 10-sided. Sure. And like the size that if you cupped your hands, it would fit. And each of the 10 sides has a hole in it. And the holes are different sizes. I'm going to have to post a picture. For your fingers? Well, yes. But no one figured that out until like two months ago. So <laughs> that's not really true, but it was pretty recent. And it has these little knobs sticking off of it. And people were trying to, you know, they've been sitting in museums kind of all over the world. And they're thinking well, maybe there's some way of measuring like currency or measuring something. And then somebody figured out that the size of the holes is like mirror image if you were like putting your fingertips together. Mm -hmm. And they figured out that what they are are like those little, you know, the like two blooms that you can get at Michael's. Yeah. To knit the fingers of your gloves. Cool. And I'm going to link somebody 3D printed one, because obviously they don't let you just go play with the one that's in the museum. And they knit some gloves. That's very cool. <laughs> it was really neat. Knitters, you're so neat. Yeah. It just took a little creativity. So the first actual verifiable knitted things are actually predate that a little bit. The dodecahedra are around like the second to fourth century. The first knitted pieces from Egypt predate that by a few thousand years. They are between like 1,000 and 1,400. There's some really cool, like colorful fragments of what are called Coptic socks. They're color work, knit out of cotton. The yarn is dyed with white and indigo. Mm -hmm. The first knitting needles that were used, at least in Egypt, would have had hooks on the end. And then at some point, somebody figured out the hooks weren't really necessary. Interesting. Yeah. And this is, okay, Richard again, he makes just kind of a side comment about how they may have been independently inventing knitting and crochet in South America. <laughs> He's not super interested in anything except the English tradition and what he can tie to the English tradition, but he does cite this source, which is unfortunately not in English, but I did my best. There was a group that sort of spanned Venezuela, Guatemala, and Brazil that was sort of independently developing these fiber crafts. But the ethnographer that did the study wasn't a fiber person. So he was entirely basing what he thought they were doing on what the tools looked like and oh. not what the fabric looked like. Interesting. Yeah. So something like Tunisian crochet, how would you categorize that if you're only... He, he didn't have enough information to really understand what he was looking at is what right. you're saying. Right. Exactly. Okay. That probably happens a lot. It Like, kind of an unfortunate <laughs> amount. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. There's also lots of knitted metal all over Europe in, like, statues from, and again, because he's primarily interested in England, he was talking about, like, ornaments in Dublin, that kind of thing. But I just thought it was really interesting that there was not a whole lot of difference in working with string and working with metal. 
Have you ever knit with metal? Only as Stellina, so no. I've knit with metal. Cool. I've made earrings. Oh, nice. Yeah. Knit earrings out of silver wire. It's fun. I don't do it a lot, but it's fun. (laughs) All right. Back to Richard. Back to Richard. So getting into like medieval, early modern kind of era, knitting as we would recognize it, it was happening first in the round and it was stockinette first. The first actual evidence of purling that we have is a specific pair of stockings. Here's the thing. They were on a dead person. All of them come out of tombs. Everyone's getting buried in their hand nets. I, I mean, <laughs> same, right? That's, that's the plan. I yeah. Think. <laughs> right. There was a woman named Eleonora in 1562 who had purling on her stockings. I feel like any woman who is being just referred to by her first name and was being buried in hand knit stockings did not invent purling. Like, oh, no. Like, they, they think she invented it? No, but oh. like it had been happening in unpreserved ways for decades probably prior to that. Sure. Yes. Here's an interesting thing from the medieval period. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read directly from our buddy and stop me when you figure out why I'm reading this section. Okay. Let's hope I'm paying close attention. <laughs> Medieval and earlier knitting that survives is nearly all done in the round. A number of fragments must be regarded as doubtful, but some that are now flat can be shown to be remains of round knitting. The number of needles used is doubtful. Late medieval paintings of the Madonna knitting show her with work on four needles, but they are not photographs and cannot be taken as conclusive evidence that either four or five needles were used. (laughs) Oh, I think we know how many the Madonna used. It was four. (laughs) She didn't need that fifth needle. She had... It was like holding her hair up or something. Four needles, people. Four. Yeah. (laughs) We have historical support. That's right. For four. And there's a specific picture, and I'm going to link this too if I can figure out how to do it. I might just have to take a picture with my phone and like upload it somewhere. Specifically of Mary knitting... And she's using this really cool, I am super into this thing. She has like a Lazy Susan Uh with bobbins on it for her color work. That's cool. Like she's holding four needles. We're fine. But (laughs) (laughs) she's also invented this thing. And actually the last time we were at Ikea, I picked up a Lazy Susan to try to like recreate this because I think it's cool. But like if you picture, let's say, a center wound ball on like a spindle and it's attached to this platform Mm -hmm. that spins as she works so that it doesn't get tangled. So like, does she use her foot and do like a DJ move where it just kind of like rocks back and forth? Well, the picture doesn't move, so it's hard to say. I mean, is her foot on it? (laughs) It's next to it. But like, you know how when you're working in the round, like you're kind of just turning it and turning it and turning it and turning it. Maybe it magically turns with you. You should just try this. I yeah, I'll have to report back. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take a video of you for posterity. Yes. For <laughs> for live documentation <laughs> instead of a painting. Yes. We will video and put it on our Instagram or something. She is also holding in this picture, which is painted in the 14th century, so for whatever that's worth, she is a thrower, not a picker. She's got her yarn wrapped over her right finger. And again, not a painting. Or, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a painting. <laughs> not a photograph. However. But I bet the painter didn't know knitting from diddle-doo and was like, I guess I'm just going to paint the yarn in whatever hand she's holding it. That's right. Right? Who knows what's happening? 
yeah, that paragraph was entirely why I wanted to talk about all of this. I wanted to talk about the dodecahedron things, and then I wanted to talk about Mary knitting with four or five needles. Sure. So, okay, we're going to come back to this because we've now gotten all the way up to medieval knitting. But a couple of other things I learned that I thought were very interesting. Okay, so first, the term worsted, referring to yarn. And you know how when people come into the store and they're like, worsted yarn? Because they're from Massachusetts. <laughs> Here, in the back of this book from England in the 70s, they list alternate pronunciations as wasset and worsset. Uh-huh. So it could be worse, <laughs> I think. <laughs> it's worsted. <laughs> So that term in particular comes from like the middle of the 15th century, kind of. We're going to come back to this. This is my own theory, but it's specifically referring to the tightly spun smooth yarn that comes from worsted Norfolk. So I think at one point I had said something like it was probably some guy named Mr. Worsted at some mill, right? Kind of. It was just the way they did it in... At wor- that mill. Yeah, at yeah. the specific mill in Norfolk. And then they also did it Like, when they did it that way, it became this thickness that turned into a standard. Hmm. It was being spun and woven in the 13th century, and by the 19th century, worsted was just a catch-all term for knitting yarn, as opposed to weaving yarn or... Sure. Also, fingering weight yarn. Yes. Earliest recorded use, 1681. Cool. Before that, it was fingram. And Richard thinks it comes from the French fin grand or fine grain. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. I Language feel better is about so that. so weird. Yeah. Can I tell you that recently on our new Patreon account, <laughs> I was writing a little post about some new yarn that we got and used the term fingering, and I got like a boom warning pop up. <laughs> Patreon was like, Something in this post may violate our terms about pornography. <laughs> Proceed with caution. And I was like, I don't know. We're going to try it. Right. And they let me publish it and apparently didn't screen it as something bad because internet robots are uncertain about knitting terms. <laughs> they can't do it. It's true. They can't. They might like the dodecahedron kind, though. Oh, right. <laughs> We're going to weird places here. Yeah. That's very interesting, though. Yeah. So I didn't want to spend a ton of time doing a book report on the podcast. I feel like this book will surface again. I bet there's all sorts of amazing kernels. There is. And the other thing I really like about this book is I think it's kind of the only one out there. So all of the other things that have been written since then, just like this is what they're starting from, which I, I really like being able to find the like the source, source. materials. <laughs> yeah. 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 So thanks, Richard. I really appreciate you taking this time to pretend that you know every Latin word and also doing that poorly. <laughs> Telling me interesting things about the word fingering. I appreciate that. How neat. What's on your needles this week? Oh, do I have something to tell you? (laughs) (laughs) I have started my Rhinebeck sweater. Amazing. And I'm just making it up. You've become one of those people. I'm I'm just doing it. (laughs) You're a wizard. We'll see what I am. It's not a sweater yet, so... (laughs) 
So there's no pattern for me to tell you, nor is there a designer. I guess if it turns into an object I can wear, the designer would be me. <laughs> but I can tell you what yarn I'm using. Ooh, what? I am using Julie Aslan's boucle, which is exciting. It's curly and kind of funky and mostly alpaca. And I don't work with alpaca very often. And this thing is going to be striped naturally. Amazing. And I picked a bunch of good colors. So I'm excited to see it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see where this goes. What's on your needles, Karen? My Clodonia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going great. I didn't mess it up at all. And I don't have to rip anything back as long as you have no further questions. <laughs> None. I have no questions. <laughs> It would be rude to ask. That's accurate. Yes. <laughs> Can we go back to my buddy Richard for a minute? Speaking of making up a pattern. Sure. He has identified the oldest extant English knitting pattern. Oh? He's heavily edited the grammar of it because he thinks the woman that wrote this down didn't have good enough grammar, which I have some feelings about. But it is a pattern for knitting hose. And it is called The Order How to Knit a Hose, which I find incredibly charming. And it's sock recipe. That's fantastic. <laughs> I was just going to clarify that it was a stocking. Right. Not water. Okay. <laughs> and it's a sock recipe. It's not even really a pattern. And here's my favorite part about this. She calls the part where it increases stitches before you turn the heel the clock. The clock. And I thought that was adorable. That's charming. Yeah. So if you write your pattern down, write it in one big sentence so it really makes some old man angry. <laughs> I, nothing would bring me more joy. <laughs> yeah, he was really offended that she didn't use enough punctuation. But you know what? I would bet he couldn't backwards engineer a sock. So yeah, too bad for you, Richard. <laughs> Be mad about it. Apparently he was because he edited her. I think that might be it for us this week. That was a lot. It was a lot. Fire hose of information. <laughs> a historical journey. <laughs> Jessica's bored out of her mind. I am not. I love all things fiber geekery <laughs> and history. And Richard's kind of a dweeb. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, he can't help who he was. No. That time has passed. Yeah. He read a lot of French I didn't want to have to read. So I guess I'll take it. Sure. <laughs> well guess what if you all have exciting interesting intriguing weird fun historical knitting facts and tidbits write to us and tell us about it because clearly we're interested in whatever we can get our hands on yeah if you have book recommendations definitely let us know because we want to know things you can email them to us at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com you can find us wherever you get your audio podcasts. I think we're just about everywhere. Rate and review us so other knitters can find us too. And we have a Patreon now. We appreciate your support. It's <laughs> awesome. We tell you about exciting new things before everyone else gets to know. And you're probably going to get to see some dog and chicken and at-home knitting pictures. Mm -hmm. Behind the scenes kind of stuff. The content you really are here for. <laughs> But we can't give you in audio format. Also, follow us on Instagram because 
It's fun. Yeah. Pictures. Everyone loves pictures. Have a wonderful rest of your week. We will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.